on this Sunday morning. Come on, somebody. Woo! I love it. I just have this crazy belief that when we get into church, we should probably be loud about celebrating that there's a God that loves us right where we are, but too much to leave us there. Come on, somebody. I love it so much that we get to come with family and just celebrate together. You guys look good today. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's almost like it's Easter Sunday again. You dread, look good, smell, smell good. I like it. Let's go. Hey, we're in week two of a series called My Story. And uh, I, we're going we're gonna to jump right into it here in just a moment. Uh, but we started this series as an idea of uh, the fact that there's people that you come into contact with, no matter how many times you've been to this church, one time or a thousand times, uh, that you see their face, you bump into them, you know who they are, but you don't know their stories. And there's some beautiful stories uh, that are sitting around you today. That's why we actually love to take time to high-five and greet. It's a moment for you to kind of get to know a face and a name uh, but hopefully later in life groups and in teams and all that stuff, uh, you get to know a story. And so what we're doing in this series is we're taking the idea of the old school testimony, pop-up testimony Sundays, and uh, we're sharing people's stories because of this. Everybody's story matters. Here's what I know about you. I don't even have to know who you are. I don't have to know your name, how long you've been here, none of that stuff. I mean, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people come between our campuses every Sunday, And the truth is, I'm not going to know everybody. But here's what I do know. You have a story. And I know that your story matters. And I know that your story is not beautiful, that it's broken, and it's messy, and it's probably hurtful when you have to go back through it. And that is the beauty of God that he goes, listen, I know you have a broken, messed up, messy, muddy story, but I love you in the middle of the story, and I want to take you to somewhere greater than you've ever been in a relationship with me. So last week, we looked at the story of Justin Graham. Justin uh, was an addict, uh, a drug dealer. I mean, just all kinds of things that were going on in his life. He turned his life over to the Lord, and over the course of years, now he is our Florence campus director at our Florence campus. He's leading the service today. Come on. He got to baptize four people last week. Like, amazing turnaround in his life. And today, we're going to hear a story of someone that's uh, not new to our church, someone that is a big part of our church. She's a great friend of mine. She's helped so many of you. Um, Shaniqua Karanja. We're going to hear... We're going to hear... You you brought your cheering section today is what you did. You said, I'll buy you all a Big Mac if y'all come. Don't do that, Shaniqua. That's not healthy. Buy them something better. At least eat it with no bun. Anyway, (laughs) but anyway, we get to hear her story of what it feels like because here's what I can guarantee you. You may not be able to understand every circumstance that is talked about in this story, but I can guarantee you you're going to understand some of the emotions and the feelings and the thoughts that she discusses in this story. So, at Radiate, we always talk about note-takers or history-makers, and I know watching a video of a story... Uh, you can go, well, there's not much to take notes on. That's wrong. You're going to find out today. There's plenty of things you can write down. There's scriptures you can write down. She throws some zingers out there that just punch you right in the gut and really help you. So I encourage you to take notes. We're going to watch the first half of it. We're going to come back, and then we're going to watch the end of it. And then we're going to go out, and we're going to change the world together. You ready? Let's watch Shaniqua's story. Let's go. My name is Shaniqua Karanja, and this is my story. 
I want to start by saying that most people ask me, and I hear it all the time, uh, why do you worship the way that you do? Like hands up in the air, arms spread, sometimes fighting not to jump around. They want to know why I worship the way I do and what makes me feel so comfortable to do that. And I often tell them we don't have time to go into the story of why I worship the way I do. But let me just tell you this, the Lord has really done some amazing things in my life and I can't sit here and not worship him. And so I want to start by just kind of sharing with you guys a little bit about uh, Shaniqua, the Shaniqua of old, like the younger version of me. Um, there are parts of my story that because it involves other people, I am deciding not to dive into in a deep way because um, it's not fully my story to share. So I'm going to talk to you guys about the parts that are specific to me. And uh, I think that the best place to start would be in a dorm room at Columbia College. Um, I was in school. I was very proud to be in college. It was something that for me, I wasn't quite sure if I was ever going to get there, not because of academics, but just because of other things. And um, there would be days that I'm, I was enjoying myself and going to classes and really just can see a, a vision of what my future would look like. But there were also days that I struggled to leave my dorm room. There were days where um, I could hear kids running up and down the halls, walking up and down the halls, going to their rooms to change out things for classes. And I was in a corner rocking myself back and forth in the room, soaked in sweat, because I was struggling through some of the things that I had experienced. You're probably wondering what I mean by that. But by the time I was 22, 23 years old, I had already experienced sexual assault, domestic violence. I had already experienced homelessness, sickness, grief, all of these many, many things. But before we get to homelessness, here I was in the dorm, struggling most days to get up and go to school, go to class. And the times that I would go, my professors, they were always so amazing. They would ask me if I was okay. Everyone knew something was wrong, but no one knew what was wrong. And Columbia College was a very loving environment. And so they wanted to know if I was okay. And because of some of the things I had experienced, I wasn't sure of who I could trust. So I always just said that I was okay and just kept it moving. Well, one day while I was in class, um, there was a lady who tapped on our door, the classroom door, and uh, she came in and I had seen her so many times, countless times on campus. In fact, not only had I seen her countless times on campus, but she always drew my eye and there was always something about her that made me think maybe one day I could be like that. But here she was, just tall, slim. She was probably in her early 60s, very free-flowing with her clothes, colorful. Um, and anytime I saw her, she was always engaged with other people, just so very inviting, just free. But uh, she came into the classroom and she said, um, um, she said my name. She asked the professor for me, and so I raised my hand. I was like, that's me. And she goes, can you come out? I want to chat with you for a moment. 
I was a little nervous, but I wasn't, because I wasn't sure what she needed. And so I stepped out of the classroom. And so she said, I'd like for you to come and meet with me in my office a little bit later today. Can you do that? And I told her I would. And so um, I got my things after class was over and went straight to her office. And I wasn't really sure what she wanted, but she let me in and she had a very cozy, warm space. And I sat down and then she introduced herself as Mitzi Winesett. She was the counselor at Columbia College. <sighs> Mitzi changed my life. In the midst of being locked in something in my heart and in my mind that I couldn't even understand. So much fear, so much anxiety, depression. Um, the fear was on a level I can't describe. And the fact that she sought me out immediately kind of made me feel comfortable once she told me who she was. And so she said, your instructors, your professors have all said that there has been some issues with you consistently being in class um, and they're worried about you. They're not thinking about the academic side of things because obviously you, you do well in school, but you're not going to class and they just want to make sure that everything's okay. And because of things of my past, I was just really not sure how much I could share with her. And so it took her a few weeks. <laughs> a few weeks to kind of build trust for me to know that I could share with her some of the things that I had experienced and she did everything she could to make sure that the we had a provost at the time at school to make sure they understood what was going on and why I wasn't coming to class but guys eventually I flunked out of college I was not able to overcome the things that were gripping me. I was not able to push past what was happening in my mind enough to be able to get well and go to school and go to class. And so eventually I flunked out and I made the decision. Um, there was no way I was going to go back to my hometown because a lot of the things that I had experienced, a lot of the traumas that I had experienced happened there. And so I chose to be homeless. And I don't want to mitigate or minimize homelessness for those who have had situations happen beyond their control and they're there through no choosing of their own. I chose to figure it out over going back to what I knew would potentially kill me. And so I bounced around a lot. Sometimes there would be friends that would let me crash on their couches. There would be friends that would sneak me into the dorm room and let me sleep there. There were many nights where I didn't know what I was going to eat. And the nights that I was snuck into the dorm, friends would like take food from the student union and bring me food to eat so that I could have something. And eventually, there were some people from my church that I had gone through, gone to at that time that said that they wanted to help me. Um, they knew what was going on and they wanted to make sure I had a safe place to stay. Um, they said they were not judging me for choosing not to go back to where I came from and they just wanted to help me. And I went, I, I you know, was a teenager, 
early, you know, late teens and um, they're people from church. So why would I not trust them? Why would I not go with them? And it was like jumping out of the frying pan into the fire. Unfortunately, people who said they were there to help me, hurt me, um, some of them just as bad as the trauma I was coming out of. And there were many nights that even in the midst of being in their homes, they would, they would eat and purposely not give me anything. And still, even with that, I still said to myself, this is better. This is better than where I came from. And this is better than going back to potential harm. And that continued on for a while. And eventually it got so bad that I said, you know what, I'm either gonna die here or I'm gonna die there. So I guess I'm gonna go back. So I went back and when I went back, I'm gonna be honest with you guys, I really didn't think I would ever make it to the age of 25. I didn't think I was gonna make it to 25 because I went back knowing I would die. I went back knowing that either the harm I left would kill me or I would do it. And when I went back, I got a job. I was a zombie <laughs> there. And somehow I was able to still function and do work, but I was just a shell of a person, just going through the motions of life. But also I was one way in front of people and I had learned and mastered how to cover up because, you know, the fact that people at college were able to determine and see that something was wrong helped me to know, hey, you know what, this time I have to be better at pretending that everything is okay. This time I have to be better at coming off strong so that nobody would know that I was losing my mind. That's how I felt. I felt like I was losing my mind. And so there would be days I'd be at work and I'm functioning normally, but my brain, everything inside my, my head was just so loud. Everything was just a fast paced. There was chaos in my head. So eventually I thought to myself, well, maybe, maybe I could try to get help again because when Mitzi was working with me, I saw a glimmer of hope. I, I saw a glimmer of hope and when I say she changed my life, she did because she was the first person who ever made an attempt to seek me out and make sure I was okay. And so I knew there have to be other people out there who won't say they want to help me and hurt me. So I looked for help and um, I went to a counselor. She was really good. <laughs> but I was really damaged. I was really broken. And um, I was so very afraid because I wasn't sure. I still was so very paranoid about who would know about the things that I was sharing. And so as much as she tried to help me, I eventually um, stopped going to her too. But before I stopped, I was diagnosed with complex PTSD 
and um, there were a lot of things that made sense for me finally. I understood some of the things that I couldn't tell people. I understood why I was so afraid to be in a room without the doors locked. I was. I understood why I couldn't go to sleep at night without a closed door. I understood why open cabinets, open cabinets would bother me. Loud noises, the sounds of children playing. Like, you know, that gleeful, high-pitched giggle, laugh, scream that they do. It would drive me just insane. And I never understood what was happening, but these things were all triggers based on the experiences and the traumas that I had experienced. And getting that information, I thought to myself, okay, I don't have to talk to her anymore and tell her anymore about my stuff because a Lifetime movie could be made about some of the things that I had experienced. And so I said, I don't need to talk to her anymore. I can go. I think I know what I need to do. And isn't that something we sometimes think we can fix ourselves? And guys, I want to say that the Lord was very much a part of my life, even in the midst of that. So I didn't have a deep relationship with him, but I knew that he existed. And not only did I know he existed, um, I knew that he had done amazing things in the lives of so many people that I knew. But at that time, I thought that perhaps the Lord needed to create a certain number of people who could take abuse and who could take pain and who could take horror and maybe I was one of those people so I didn't actually think of God as someone who loved me more so than me just being here he created me to take abuse and, and pain and so as much as I loved him I didn't think he loved me and so um, when I made the decision to stop going to counseling and I was still going to church but I was going to a different church at that time and I was not trying to get close with anybody because church people had um, hurt me in ways that I can't even begin to, to describe. And so um, I didn't really feel like there was a bridge to try to figure out my relationship with the Lord. How many of you know life doesn't always end up like we think, does it? Right? We have our ideas, we have our dreams, we have our goals, we have our vision. We have exactly what we feel like is right and what God wants. And let's be honest, a lot of times it's mostly what we want, right? But life doesn't end, that, end up that way a lot, does it? It throws you curveballs, things happen, life happens, difficulties happen. It's a hard moment. That's what Shaniqua is living through in this moment. And I think one of the indicators... Uh, is she talked about at the end there. She said, I knew God. I, I didn't have a deep relationship with God, but I knew God was around. And I knew what God had done for everybody else. I just didn't think he could do it for me. I thought it was for everybody basically but me in that moment. And life happens, you feel lost. Maybe you're in here today and, and you're going through some of the emotions that she talked about, right? Like maybe you're like, I've never been in those circumstances. I've never been in those situations. But I feel lost, abandoned. I feel forgotten hurt. Um, I feel like everybody that I was supposed to trust has turned their back on me, right? I feel like if I don't live up to expectations, it's, it's you know, all they're going to do is turn around and use me as a punching bag. I mean, it's just all these things. And maybe you're in here and you feel that today. Maybe you're in here today. You got a lot of confusion. You got a lot of hurt. You got a lot of questions for God. 
why God? Why, why me? Why this? Why that? You know, whatever it is. And can I just be honest with you? God is not intimidated by your why. God is not scared of your why today. God is not scared of the question mark at the end of the feeling that you have. I know some people have probably led you to think, they're like, don't you ever question God. Can I tell you something? God is not afraid of your questions. You're not going to tell him anything, ask him anything that he doesn't have an answer for. It's not like you're going to catch him off guard. In fact, it says it this way, that his ways are higher and his thoughts are greater than ours. That means any question that I can think of, he's already thought of. He's got the answer. And, you know, it just seems like sometimes in life we can think that the more we go to church, the more we give our life to God, the more we pray, the more we worship, the more we do this, the more we do that, you fill in the blank, the more difficulty is just going to go away. Can I tell you something? The Bible never says that. The Bible actually says prepare for difficulty. Prepare for pain. It says it like this. You will be persecuted for my name's sake. In other words, when you give your life to him, people ain't going to like it. But here's what he says. Here's what I promise. You don't have to go through it alone. Everything else, you'll go through alone. But when you've given your life to Christ, the Bible teaches us that we get to walk through it with him. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 6 through 8, Moses is talking to Joshua, giving him some advice for leadership. And here's what he tells Joshua. He says, hey, Joshua, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or tremble at them. And when I read that, I think about when Brody, was a, my 11-year-old, was a little kid. He used to say, do not be defrayed. It always helps me remember that verse, like for real. Do not be defrayed or tremble at them. Watch this. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. Not your friends, not your social media, not your Starbucks stars. No. The Lord is the one that goes with you. And he says, he will not fail you. And he will not forsake you. Why? Everybody, listen to me. Everybody in this room will fail you at some point. Including me. You know why? We're human. And if we're honest about not trying to be perfect, we're going to fail at some point. It's just going to happen. However, it doesn't have to deter our faith whenever we know who God is. And we know that he will never leave us, he'll never forsake us, and he'll always be with us. And what you're about to see for the back half of the story is you're about to see where Shaniqua started putting some things in place and started recognizing where God was lining some things up to look at, him, look at her and go, I know you feel alone, but you're not alone. And I'm there, and you're going to see how her life went from a life of trauma and abuse and pain, those things she couldn't change. But what she could change was what happened in the future from that point forward. Let's watch the rest of the story. Eventually, I met Ben, my husband, and Benjamin, when he and I met, we were just friends. We uh, connected and we, um, he said to me, hey, I know that you drive a distance to get to work and I'm in the process of looking for an apartment. Are you thinking about moving out? And let me tell you, it was like someone threw a lifeline into the water. 
because I was sinking. And I was like, absolutely, I would love that. So we became roommates and this was gonna be the first time someone in a space that I lived in was going to be aware of triggers that I had. But I wasn't thinking about that at first. I was thinking, I just wanna be out of where I was and let me just, let me do this. And so um, at first I tried my very best to hide the things, all of the things. I tried to hide them. I tried to hide the night terrors. I tried to hide just the fact that I was cutting and things of that nature. And, and Ben, he again was just a friend at the time and he was concerned. And so every now and again, he would try to talk to me about it. Um, eventually we, we, be, we became a couple and that's when he said, okay, you gotta do something. I don't wanna lose you and you gotta do something. And so I said, I'll try again, I'll go back to counseling. And so I went to a counselor and she said something to me that really kinda shook me. She said, Shaniqua, you are wearing your pain and you're wearing your experiences, experiences like a coat that you refuse to take off. And I thought about that and I was like, it's not that I don't want to take it off, but the one time I tried, I got hurt again. And so being able to kind of stay clear of people and not make connections and not try to be friendly and not bond with anybody, it felt safe. And so she worked with me and she helped me see where I needed to be able to slowly open up. She helped me deal with the triggers. She helped me stop cutting, and I haven't cut since 2012. It's 2023 now. So, so very proud of that. At that time when I was seeing her, I was in a suicidal place where I would be doing things to try to purposely die. I would drive through red lights not even thinking about the fact that if I drove through a red light, it's gonna hurt other people. My focus was just on, I, I couldn't live with all this pain and I just wanted to be gone. And so these were things that I was finally able to start sharing and not worried about, okay, well, what's it mean? Who's gonna know? And I just wanted to be better. And I had this wonderful man that saw me, saw me good, bad, and ugly, and he wanted to see me better. So it was something that kind of pushed me to do the work. And don't get me wrong, I still have triggers, y'all. There's, I still can't be in a room without knowing the door is locked. Uh, sometimes just being in this space can be hard, but I make a conscious effort and decision, and I, I've learned the tools that I need to be able to do life but we eventually started going to church Ben and I again and I started to wrestle with my relationship or lack thereof with the Lord and I started to realize that every single time something bad happened every time I thought this is it. This is the this is the incident that's going to kill me. This is the incident that I'm not going to be able to bounce back from. I would listen to gospel music. 
and I would talk to God and say, I'm not sure why you thought I would be the person that can handle these things. I'm not sure why you thought it could be me. I'm not strong enough. And I would listen to these songs and I would pray. And every time I thought I couldn't do it, I would have just a little more strength, just a little more push, just a little more drive every single time. And so when I went to church, eventually Ben and I, and I started trying to come to grips with the fact that I didn't think I had a relationship with the Lord, but I did. It was just a very <laughs> interesting and unique one. It was, a, it was, I wish I could put a word on it. If, you, if anyone here has ever been in a position where you feel like you love someone, but you're not sure how they feel about you, that's kind of what that relationship was with with me and the Lord and and although I wasn't sure how he felt about me I wanted him I wanted him in my life and I I wanted him to love me and so at the church that I was in they finally started changing some of my thought processes on what a relationship with God was I had grown up with all these rules with all these laws you might as well say you have to be this, you have to do this, you have to like basically thinking I had to be and do certain things to have a relationship with the Lord. And that just wasn't true. I learned that. I learned that when Jesus died on the cross, that it was for me too. It was for me too. And he wouldn't do that if he didn't love me. God wouldn't allow that if he didn't love me. And I thought about the many times that I tried to kill myself. And it was many times that I tried and it never worked. Who else could have done it? I did everything. I tried every method and God kept me every time. So while I was thinking that he didn't love me, while I was thinking that it was just me loving him, but he didn't really care about me, the whole time he was with me, showing me, keeping me. And so throughout all that, I had worship with me the whole time. I would listen to the music. I would pray and talk to God. I would be encouraged because I know that even if he didn't feel that way about me. I know that I made sure he knew that, Lord, even though I don't know if I can make this, I love you. So when people ask me about why I worship the way that I do, it is because he would never let me go. No matter what I did, no matter the fact that after I tried so hard to take out this fearfully and wonderfully made creature that he sculpted and made and breathed life into, after I tried to take that out, he still loved me regardless. And how can I not worship him? How could I not, knowing that I shouldn't have made it to 25? I'm 38, I'll be 39 this year. And I'm still here. So I'm still here and it's not by my might in any way. It's all God. And so when, when people ask, that's why. 
And I only, I don't just worship just because of the things that I've seen and experienced and been through, but I worship because I know that only a God, like the one that we serve, the, the one true God, could have brought me out of the things that I've been through. But I also worship the way that I do because I know that there are many people in the same room that I am in on Sunday mornings who want so desperately to raise their hand. There might be many people in the room who are thinking, I love him, but I don't know if he loves me. And I worship because my thought process is this, if they can't do it yet, I'm gonna do it for them. And as I'm worshiping, I'm praising God and I'm thanking him for what he's done in my life. I'm thanking him for being a way maker. I'm thanking him for being just a mighty savior, but I'm also thanking him for the chains that are being broken off of the people that are sitting behind me and standing behind me. And I believe that eventually those hands that are just feeling like lead that want so desperately to raise will raise will open up, will say, you know what? I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what people around me are saying. I know where the Lord brought me from. And I know that I shouldn't be here. And because I know it, I'm gonna worship him. And just in case someone beside me or behind me can't, I'm gonna worship for them too. So that's why I worship the way that I do. I worship for me. I worship because the Lord has shown me time and time again that he is for me. I worship because I know that so many times the enemy tried to take me out. And I think about where he, where I started and where I am today. Today, I started as Shaniqua Wright, this girl who was struggling through so many things. And today I'm Pastor Shaniqua Karanja. Imagine someone who wasn't sure of the walk And here now I get an opportunity to be a soldier in his army. And not only that, I'm a counselor too. The processes and the steps that I was so worried about taking for myself to get well, I never thought I would be in the seat today. And I'll say this, I asked God multiple times, why, why me? Those of you who know me know that I say often, why not? Why not us, right? But at the time I asked him, why me? And I heard one day, as clear as the voice that I'm speaking out of now, I heard it clear as a bell. The Lord said to me, I knew, I, this is because I knew you would never be silent. You would never be silent. He knew that I would use the things that I came out of to help propel other people forward. I would use the things that I came out of and help other people know that it does not matter how deep down, how dark, it doesn't matter how awful, it doesn't matter even if it's something you've done, it doesn't matter what it is, the Lord can pluck you out of it. He can protect you. He can keep you. And he knew that I would say it. And that's why I'm here today telling you my story. And if you have a story that you need a safe place to share, 
I want to encourage you to join the My Story Life group if you haven't already. It'll be an opportunity for you to be in a safe space. It's confidential and you can finally get some of the things that you've been carrying off your chest. Man, what a story. What a testimony of God's love and great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Listen, we can celebrate that. Here's what I love about Shaniqua's story. It's obviously not the pain and the hurt and the, you know, all that. It's that even when you feel like God isn't there, God is still there. Even when you're in a moment of confusion and pain and where are you and what do I do, God's still working. You don't have to feel it. You don't have to see it. You don't even have to know it. God's still there. And God's still moving. And one of the things I found intriguing as Shaniqua now, as she said, or we put up there, you know, she's graduated. She's a counselor. She's now an ordained pastor with the Acts 2 network. Like all these things are happening. and, and, And the story is actually still being written. She's impacting lives. That's That's an amazing part. But one of the things that I love about it is she talked about the life change that took place from where she was to where she is. But watch this. She also highlighted that there's a few things she had to do. There's a few things on her end that she had to realize. Number one, she had to realize that I was raised in religion and rules, not relationship. That God is more than a list of rules. God wants a relationship. It's not about the do's and the don'ts. Those come out of love, not obligation. Are you with me? And she realized that I got to push into a relationship. She realized that getting to know God in his word and, and through prayer was important. Getting into church. Church wasn't what saved her, but church sure drew her closer to God. Got her around people that could impact her. Even, here's what I love. Church hurt, part of her story was church hurt. But the church hurt didn't keep her from church. Because she knew that her faith wasn't dependent on that situation. There came a point where faith became dependent on God in Shaniqua. And she had to get around people that would help her grow. It's church. She did those things. And then, man, I love this part because she wrapped it all up. She's such a great storyteller. But she starts and finishes it with, this is why I worship. Why do I worship? This is why I worship. Because worship is a response to what God has done. That's why when you walked in the room today or you turned on this broadcast today, can I tell you what happened? We started with what? Worship. Well, of course you did. That's what you do every week. You do realize that's not because we just want to start with music. It's because there's not a person in this room, I don't care where you are with Christ today, there's not a person in this room that doesn't have a response that they can give back to God. That he woke you up this morning, put breath in your lungs, you got blood pumping through your body, and you got hope today. See, we get to lift our hands, we get to lift our voices, we get to give our claps, our praise, our worship back to him. That's our response. And even when God's, it feels like he's not around, He's working. In fact, Romans 8, 28 says it so well. It says it like this. And we know that God causes all things. Somebody say all things. All things. Praise God. To work together for good to those who love God 
to those who are called according to his purpose. Can I tell you who he's talking about that are called according to his purpose? You. You. When we give our life to Christ, we have now said, God, I submit myself to you. I submit myself to your sacrifice. I'm giving myself to you. And it doesn't say all things will be good. It says all things will work out for good. In other words, I'll take the good, the bad, the confusing, the frustrating, the anger, the hurt, the pain, the abuse, the the addiction. I'll take every bit of that. I'll put it in a big blender, and it's going to come out as something beautiful in your your beauty. And it's going to come out for your good because you have trusted your life to me, and you're called according to my purpose. He says, I will take everything good and bad in your life, and I will make it work. Some of you came in today, and you focused way more on the bad than the good. God, how could you? How dare you? What about this and what about that? Can I tell you your why? I'm going to say it again. Your why doesn't intimidate God. But I'm going to tell you this. If we'll trust God with our life, everything works out for the good of those who have trusted their life to him. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray two quick prayers today. Number one is there's some people in the room that today's your moment to go, you know what, God, I've ran from this long enough. It is time for me to trust you with my life. It is time for me to give you everything that I've got. Good, bad, and ugly, doesn't matter. It's time. And for you to pray this prayer, and it's not prayer that saves you, it's the submission of your life to Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that when we do that, our lives are eternally hidden and secure in the love of God for eternity. That's number one for some people in the room. And then number two, I'm just going to pray a blessing for everybody in the room that just needs to go, I know someone or I am the someone that is going through something and I don't think God's there. But I'm ready to live my life and help them live their life in a way that we know God is working at all times. If you would, just bow your heads with me. I just want to pray. And if you're ready to go, you know what, God, I'm ready to give my life to Christ today. I'm ready to pray that prayer. I just want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me right where you're seated, right where you're at. Just pray this prayer of submission with me. Dear Jesus, I give you my life. Thank you for the sacrifice on the cross. Thank you for everything that you gave of your life so that I could have eternal relationship with God. Thank you, Jesus, that no matter what happens in my life, you are always present. You are always there. God, I pray that you would forgive my past, my present, and redeem my future. I'm ready to live with and for you. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice.